morning. Hear now the word of God from Deuteronomy 30, 11 through 20. For this commandment that I command you today is not too hard for you, neither is it far off. It is not in heaven that you should say, who will ascend to heaven for us and bring it to us that we may hear it and do it? Neither is it beyond the sea that you should say, who will go over the sea for us and bring it to us that we may hear it and do it? But the word is very near to you. It is in your mouth and in your heart so that you can do it. See, I have set before you today life and good, death and evil. If you obey the commandments of the Lord your God that I command you today by loving the Lord your God, by walking in his ways and by keeping his commandments and his statutes and his rules, then you shall live and multiply, and the Lord your God will bless you in the land that you are entering and take possession of it. But if your heart turns away and you will not hear, but are drawn away to worship other gods and serve them, I declare to you today that you shall surely perish. You shall not live long in the land that you are going over the Jordan to enter and possess. I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death, blessing and curse. Therefore, choose life that you and your offspring may live, loving the Lord your God, obeying his voice and holding fast to him, for he is your life and length of days, that you may dwell in the land that your Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give them. Now together. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Amen. Amen. Would you um, remain standing for just one moment more um, as we pray? And for those who are keeping track, it's a gray sports jacket day, so... Uh, I know there's a few of you track, because there's two jackets. All right, let's pray, let's pray. Lord, um, thank you for uh, this sermon series. Lord, uh, it's been quite a week, and... um, You know, I know in my heart, Lord, uh, there's the the melancholy of the season that's present. And uh, and there's shootings in schools, and we're like so mad about it and sad about it. And we're wondering if you're watching, Lord. Uh, We know that you are. Would you, by your word this morning, um, would you just help us to hear these ancient words and find life? And find endurance. We're counting on you, Lord. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. Uh, Well, good morning. If you are visiting us, we're so glad that you're here. Welcome. I'm Ronnie. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, If this is your first Sunday, you have caught us on the very last sermon in a sermon series that we've been at for months now. We've been studying the writings of Moses. And so we studied five passages in the book of uh, Leviticus. That was a doozy. Uh, Then five in Numbers and uh, five in Deuteronomy. Or today makes the last one, the fifth, in Deuteronomy. And what we've tried to do is just show you that these ancient texts... Uh, are incredibly relevant and timeless for modern people. So today's that final sermon. It's the very end of Deuteronomy. 
In some way, it's a, uh, some ways, it's a culmination of all that uh, Moses has been saying. If you'll remember what we've said about Deuteronomy is that Deuteronomy really captures a series of farewell speeches that Moses is giving to the children of Israel, this next generation. And they are about to fulfill their mission and enter into the promised land. And so Deuteronomy functions kind of like a pre-op briefing. I don't know what a pre-op briefing is, like pre-operation. You know, a lot of you guys know I was in the Air Force in my former life. I was an officer in the United States Air Force. And uh, more specifically, I was an intelligence officer. And so I had the privilege of working with these amazing pilots. I worked specifically with C-130s, these planes that are big and fly slow and low. Well, after September 11th, a lot of my pilots um, had, they were flying some really dangerous missions in Iraq and Afghanistan. And so before each of their missions, uh, their crews had to come into my offices, right, to get a briefing, a pre-op briefing. Uh, the thing is, is even though they're extremely competent pilots, they, kind of, they needed to know what they were up against. And so guys like me would help them understand the terrain, help them understand which parts of the mission they would be more vulnerable. I'd explain like the threats in the theater, the types of missiles that were out there that could shoot planes out of the sky. And I would explain like the performance of those missiles and how to fly their plane effectively to mitigate those threats, right? Now, when an intel person gave these types of briefings, everyone wanted front row seats, right? No one slept during those briefings. Everyone was super dialed in, right? They're locked in. Because they realized the information that my team could provide them could be the difference between life and death. And so guys like me were saying, right, like, there are some risks, yes, but you guys can crush it, you will, but you have to listen carefully. Now, I don't want to say that our words to them were life, but that is most certainly what God is saying to Israel through Moses. His words are life. And here's what I want you to hear. I know that this passage that we just heard It's over 3,500 years old, but man, these words are still the difference between life and death for modern people. Uh, I know I have my work cut out trying to convince you of that, but let's see if maybe the Lord will surprise us as we study the passage we just heard. So as this journey into life, as we're going to see today, this journey into life is both too easy and too hard. It's both too easy and and too hard. And so we're going to let those be our headings as we study this passage. So without further uh, introduction, uh, those words are too easy, too easy. In 1984, I went to my very first movie. I went to the cinema for the very first time, 1984. Guess what movie I watched? It was The NeverEnding Story. Now, warning, if your memory of that movie is magical... Don't watch it again. It will ruin your memory of it. It's both bad and a touch creepy. I don't know if Falcor is a dog or a dragon. Those of you who saw it, you know what I'm talking about. Uh, I remember being captivated by the story, basically, if you're unfamiliar with it, like Gen Z, you guys have no idea what I'm talking about here. But um, it's set in this magical world called Fantasia. 
And Fantasia is ruled by this little girl called the Childlike Empress. Uh, but this world is being destroyed by this powerful force called the Nothing. And so the only thing that could stop the Nothing is if this human boy uh, gives the Childlike Empress a new name. And so this Native American boy, uh, his name's Atreyu. Atreyu is commissioned to go on a quest he goes on a quest to find this boy who can give the childlike empress a new name. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the movie. <laughs> That's it. Like, it's a quest. It's a quest. I know. This is how we, these are the kind of movies we made in the 80s. I don't know. Uh, but the thing is, at one point, Atreyu, he has to pass uh, between these two large sphinxes. Uh, but he's warned that only the true of heart uh, can, can pass, the true of heart who confident that can pass because um, these sphinxes, if you're not true in heart, will shoot lasers out of their eyes and kill you. I'm not making this up, all right? Uh, but he does, Atreyu does. He was worthy. He was pure in heart. He was the brave one. He's the one who could pass without getting killed. And so the never-ending story is a tale with a narrative arc called a quest. A quest is a plot device used in mythology in which a hero has to prove his worthiness through this long journey, has to pass many trials, many tests in order to receive something of value. We know these stories. Wizard of Oz, right? Dorothy, Lion, Scarecrow, Tin Man, they all had to go on a journey to get the broomstick from the Wicked Witch, right? Harry Potter, Lord of the Rings, Indiana Jones, the Holy Grail, all of these are stories of quests, right? Now, these quest narrative arcs have been around for thousands of years. And in fact, all of mythology and ancient cultures used quest stories to explain their gods and their histories. And so in Egyptian and Mesopotamian mythology, like Gilgamesh, y'all remember studying that in high school? These were all quest stories. And essentially, people in that culture asked, what is the secret to the universe? How do I get divine knowledge about the mysteries of the universe? And these cultures answered with their folklore about a person who was particularly noble or gifted or pure. They had to climb the highest mountain or solve riddles put forth by the gods or whatever to reach their gods to get some desirable item, some holy grail, something that would give them life, maybe even eternal life. Well, Israel is about to enter into the land, Canaan, and it's filled with local deities and their corresponding mythology and folklore. And Israel's going into society and cultures that had these narrative arcs. The, these, they said, divine wisdom, the secret to life, it's not accessible to everyday people. Only a, tr only a few true noble, exceptional people could go on these quests and acquire this sublime information. And that's usually what made them, you know, the person who did that usually made them the king or the ruler, right? That's what the, the children of Israel were walking into. And Moses, in our passage, says, that's crazy talk. 
That's what he's doing in our passage. He's like, that's crazy talk. In verse 11, he says, look there in verse 11, he says, this commandment that I command you today is not too hard for you, and neither is it far off. Verse 12, it's not in heaven, right? Such that you got to recruit someone to go on a quest to bring it down for us and tell us what to do, right? Verse 13, look there, verse 13. Verse 13 is a very interesting thing to say. Moses says, it's not beyond the sea. Now, for, if you don't know, in that, in the sea in those ancient cultures was a metaphor for like sheer chaos, right? Sometimes the sea is analogous to the realm of the dead. But Moses says, no one needs to take a journey to the realm of the dead and come back to tell us what God said. Rather, verse 14, God's word, the secret to life, is very near to you. No quest is required. It's in your mouth. It's in your heart so that you can do it. You don't have to go anywhere. God came to you. That is what's actually pumping through Israel's like social imag- like imaginary, like their collective imagination. The entire universe cannot contain Yahweh, and yet God moved into their neighborhood, right? So God's presence and God's commandments present with, not not in heaven, not out there, not beyond the sea, the children of Israel, they were there for them. And these were explicit acts of God's free grace to this former slave people. They didn't prove their worthiness Through some quest, they didn't earn it. It was just a gift of grace. God simply gifted them his words. He gave them the secret to life. Now, I don't know if you feel the implication of this, but most certainly the original audience would have felt it. And here it is. That's too easy. The divine will for humanity requires nothing but an open heart, right? Like every other religion in the world requires feats of bravery and travel and nobility, but not not Israel's God, not him. So let me see if I can't apply this to us. Um, The simplicity and the accessibility and the grace intrinsic to Christianity has always been one of the main reasons, one of the main obstacles for why people don't take Christianity seriously. There are a lot of forms of this general distaste for grace. Perhaps you have heard something like this. Uh, Ronnie, so let me see if I get this. You're saying that a person can live an awful life murdering people, and then on their deathbed, give their life to Jesus. And you're saying there is salvation for that person if it's sincere? And I say, I know. Like, grace is really uncomfortable. Well, isn't that just convenient? I wish everything were that easy, right? That's right. That's right. There's no quest for these free words of life. 
And we shirk under the reality that God's words and, and life is too accessible. I mean, you can be nailed to a cross on the brink of death, see that Jesus is hanging on a cross right beside you, say, I want the secret to life. God, Jesus, you're the secret to life, and Jesus gives it to you. It's like too accessible. Or let me, let me use an example that's like less life and death. Um, the ease and accessibility of God's words, it bothers us in other ways. Uh, presently, like in our culture, we, uh, our society has desacralized. That's a fancy word for saying we've removed the sacred status. So we've desacralized uh, everything in our culture, and it's, and it's left us largely uh, aimless. Like nothing is sacred anymore. The roles of men or women or uh, our jobs, our work, our jobs don't matter beyond anything other than earning a paycheck, right? It's not, it's not sacred for common good or anything like that. We've, we've kind of unhinged ourselves from those things uh, that we have labeled as cultural hegemony or, or oppressors, right? We're completely free, we're unhinged, and nothing is sacred. But now there is this sort of vacuum uh, of purpose and identity. And so people that we love so, so much are looking for answers. There's this cosmic homelessness, and they are looking for the words of life. And so they come to us like, you know, you got a word for me? What's the secret? And we're like, hey, bro, like, check yourself in to the Four Seasons Hotel here in Denver, hop on the bed, Roll over to the nightstand, open up the drawer, grab a Gideon's Bible, and there you're going to find what you're looking for. <laughs> they would say, we're crazy. That's too easy. Right? It's too accessible. So instead, our loved ones, they don't believe us, and they go on quests. They pay thousands of dollars to fly to the farthest reaches of the world, to the hills of Tibet, Pay thousands of dollars for meditation guides and reservations. And looking for what? For the secret. This elusive peace that we desperately want. Or some won't make that trip, but they seek out the cultural priests and cultural gurus around us. We, we literally shove money into the pockets of Tony Robbins and Deepak Chopra because those figures, they have made the voyage, the quest. They are worthy, and they've discovered the secrets of the universe. We perceive that these cultural priests are the only ones who can unlock these secrets. We think that all of that must be impossible for us. We think the secret of life is the fruit of a quest, and it must be too hard. And that's why grabbing the Bible, the Gideon's Bible in the hotel room, seems laughable, right? And listen, that intuition, that's not like just secular people, right? Christians do this too, Instead of trusting God's word, we, we look to people who we perceive to have a special connection. These are the ones who have like a fresh word from the Spirit because they're the ones that know, right? 
These are the ones who discovered that the Bible is actually a series of symbols, and when you assign a number to the Hebrew character, it can be solved with new Bible codes. Y'all know what I'm talking about, right? These books are sold like every year. We demand uh, that they tell us these new revelations, and, you know, heaven forbid, you just read the Bible the old-fashioned way. We don't do that either, though. So in this pre-op briefing before Israel is about to enter the land, God is saying to Moses, you have the map to life, and it's not too hard, neither is it far off. It's already in your heart and in your mouth. And those words are for you, Denverites. They're for you and for me. Don't, don't be bothered by the gracious ease or the accessibility of God's words. In fact, don't make it the fact that they're easy. Don't, make it, don't let that make you suspicious or skeptical. But let me pivot here. Let me transition since there's no quest necessary, does that mean that these words of life are easy? Actually, although the words are surprisingly simple, it's quite hard. It's too hard. One of the things that I love about the Bible is that it's honest. It has a very honest, sober vision of the human heart. The Bible is incredibly realistic about life in this world. This is very different than... Uh, other religious books, like when you study the sacred writings of other religions, uh, the prophets or the followers of that religion are usually portrayed as being quite exemplary, right? Like, look at them. Look at all of these models. But then you read the Bible and you get something different. In fact, the exact opposite. The so-called heroes of the Bible are a hot mess, right? They're a train wreck. Moses, like who's writing Deuteronomy, he doesn't even get to go into the promised land. Why? Because he's he had this total fit against God where he took his staff and starts beating a rock, trying to get water to come out of it, all the while God was actually helping him. Uh, like, y'all, my, my son, uh, he's playing piano today, but, so he's older now, but when he was young, he used to like, really love trains, like super into trains. And um, one time we were at a terminal in an airport, and he saw, like, the tram, right, in the airport. So he starts screaming, like, train, train. Like, he's pumped. Like, this is a Super Bowl. It's a big deal. And I thought, man, this is going to be great. I'm going to give my son, like, a train ride. It's going to be awesome. So Micah gets on the train uh, so we can get to our next concourse. So we board the train, and there's these huge windows, right? Y'all have been in these before. And you can see out of the windows, and um, through the windows is a second train going the opposite direction, right? It's a different tram on a parallel track, right? You're following me? But it's going in the opposite direction. So we get in the train, we board it, which is exactly what Micah wanted to do. I was so glad to help him with this. But then he sees, like, the other train right beside, and the other train leaves. And Micah literally loses his mind, because he doesn't get to ride a train. He's in a train. <laughs> so he's like so mad at me for not allowing him to ride the train. That's what Moses is doing. Like that's everyone in the Bible, right? It's all over the Bible. I mean, these guys are a mess. And it's like not just the Old Testament. It's like the New Testament. Peter, 
spineless coward, Paul, a murderer. Like literally in Romans 7, Paul says these words. This is the Paul, he wrote most of your New Testament. He says, I don't even understand my own actions. I don't do what I want to do, but I do the very thing I hate. I do not do the good thing that I want. Rather, the evil I do not want is what I keep doing. Man, true words have never been spoken. Why do I share this with you? Moses says, listen, this is simple. Verse 15, right in the middle of verse 15. Look there in your Bibles again. He says, I've set before you today life and good, death and evil. If you obey the commandments of the Lord your God that I command you today, by loving the Lord your God, by walking in his ways, by keeping his commandments and his statutes and his rules, then you shall live. And then jumps to verse 17, look. But if your heart turns away and you will not hear, but are drawn away to worship other gods and serve them, I declare to you today that you shall surely perish. So the whole like message of Deuteronomy can be uh, summed up like this. If you disobey, you get death. And if you obey, you get life. And life here is not biological life, right? They have that. He's talking about spiritual life. He's like, you'll thrive. In other words, the secret to the universe is so simple that it's offensive. Obey God and you will live a full and satisfying life. All right. So what's the problem? Because we're all like sweating in our seats. The problem is, is you won't do it. Because it's incredibly hard. Maybe too hard. Simple, but hard. I mean, on one hand, the secret to life is so inclusive. I mean, no matter what home you come from, no matter the color of your skin, no matter your past mistakes, however dark and sordid they are, no matter your socioeconomic status, none of that matters. What matters is that today you love the Lord your God by walking in his ways and keeping his rules. But even as super inclusive, Super simple in that sense. It it may be. It is still too hard. You know why? Because what it means is, and you guys are reading between the lines, it means that you lose control of your life. You don't get a vote anymore. Now follow, follow this with me. If God gave you life, if everything you have, to include the air in your stinking lungs, if all of it, is an absolute gift from God. Not because you earned it, but because of his grace. Then you owe him your love and your loyalty and your thankfulness. Your life, because of grace, is not yours anymore. You belong to God and God can ask anything of you. Nothing's off limits. I don't see anyone signing up for that. Not that we don't want to. I mean, even if we want to, we don't do what we know we should do. Right? And we turn our backs on God because it's too 
hard. And I don't have a lot for you today, except one thing in this passage that just kept me dialed in, wanting more. Can I show you? So Moses says, he says, I've set before you life and death, blessing and curse. Therefore, choose life. And then, look there in the middle of verse 20, Moses drops a bomb. He says, therefore, choose life, for he, the Lord, is your life. You see what's happening there? It's, look at me. The Lord is not showing us the path. He is, he, he, what he's saying is he is the path. Y'all see the difference? He is our life. This is so radically different than every religion in the whole world. Every world system to include human secularism. And every system a person must perform. Right? In religion, you have a prophet or a spokesman who says, do these things, do this eightfold path, right? Accomplish these five pillars, do this quest, and you'll have life. Or, or in humanism, we're given seven steps to a good life, to success, to happiness, or three steps to live your best life now, right? Or vote in this way, and then you know you're on the good side. Put this thing on your Instagram and you know you're on the good team, right? Just, there's these things that you have to do, you have to perform. But with Christianity, God is our life. Like, what does this mean? In Romans 10, in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul, he literally takes Deuteronomy 30 and he interprets it. I'm going to read it for you guys. Just follow this. Follow me as I read Romans 10, verse 5, with the Apostle Paul. Listen carefully. This is Paul. He says, For Moses writes about the righteousness that's based on the law, a performance, a quest, right? That the person who does the commandments shall live by them, right? Just do these things and you're going to live. But, verse 6, the righteousness based on faith says, do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the abyss, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. In other words, no one's going on a quest to bring this wisdom, the wisdom of Christ to us. Verse 8, but what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim Verse 9, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Verse 10, for with the heart one believes and is justified. The heart and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. That's the Apostle Paul. Oh, this is like so easy and so hard. Have you ever felt like, I don't know if I want that? I mean, it's free, but it will cost me everything. No quests, 
but it costs everything. Like, how do we help our hearts to get there? Well, Jesus was the one who went on the quest. We did not ascend to him, but he came down to us, and he passed the tests. He was proven noble and worthy. Not us, him. The secret to life is that he's the secret to life. Like, you've got to believe that. Like, you've got to want it to be true. The secret to life is that he is the secret to life. He doesn't point us to some path. He just points us to himself. God became our life, and he gave himself to us. That's what Christians believe. If this is true, like, can you see how this, like, changes everything? As we journey into life, even the melancholy parts, let this pre-op mission, this briefing, this pre-op mission briefing pour over you. Just believe it. Like, believe these sacred words, these ancient words. The secret to life is that he's the secret to life. May you rest in him this week. Amen. Amen.